Well, today we begin a brand new series called Scary Season. And in this series, we're gonna be talking for three weeks about fear. And I, I just felt like what better way to start talking about fear than by talking about the extreme edge of fear today. I want to, as we begin, I want to talk about phobias, just to list the top 10 phobias listed by therapists across America. In case you don't know what the most, what the 10 most common phobias are, uh, here, here they are. The first one is social phobias, which is fear of social interactions. Uh, the second one is trypophobia, which is a fear of circle clusters. I don't really understand that one. People are wildly afraid of circle clusters. Um, atychophobia, which is a fear of failure. I think a lot of us know something about that. Thanatophobia, which is the fear of Thanos from the Marvel movies. Just kidding. Although uh, the fear of death uh, is, is what thanatobia is. Uh, thanatophobia. Uh, nosophobia, which is the fear of developing disease. That's become over the last couple of years, especially a very real, very large percentage of people experiencing that fear. Um, arachnophobia. That's one a lot of us, you know, it's the fear of spiders, the fear of spiders. Yep. Vehophobia, which is the fear of driving, fear of driving. Claustrophobia, the fear of enclosed spaces or spaces that getting tighter and tighter. Um, acrophobia, which is the fear of acrobats. Just kidding. It's the fear of heights. The people people who have who are acrobats have overcome acrophobia and aerophobia, which is the fear of flying. Now, let me ask you a question. Any of you got any of those? Like if you've got one of those, would you just hit the like button right now or maybe hit the comment section to let us know which fear or which phobia that you've got? It's a fun list, isn't it? Some of you are like, can I have via phobia about someone else driving? Because I'm not particularly afraid when I'm in control of the car, but when my spouse gets in control or when my kids get in control, then like when they take the wheel, I wish Jesus would take the wheel. I've got some veophobia about someone else driving. Some of you might be like me where I have a bit of fear of heights, um, but I can survive and be fine if I'm at a height and I'm relatively contained. Like, I, like, like if I'm on a 10 foot ladder and, and all about my balance, not doing, not doing so great. I'm, I'm, I'm usually kind of sweating it out, but I can be on a 25 foot scissor lift and be just fine. So I'm not concerned about the height as I am the likelihood of falling from the height. Now, some of you are like, I don't like spiders, but I don't think I have a phobia. How do you know if you have a phobia? How do you know when fear becomes a phobia? That's a good question. The difference between a fear and a phobia is that the fear or anxiety caused is out of proportion to actual danger posed by the specific object or situation. Physical symptoms of, the, of these phobias are sudden intense fear, the sweating, heart palpitation, chest pain, being out of breath, it's numbness, dry mouth, ringing in your ears, and possibly even hot flashes. And here's something interesting. I thought this was an interesting number. One in eight people across the country experience a phobia on that level where they have an actual physical reaction to the intense fear that they feel. Not just they're not just internally bothered, but they have a distinct physical reaction based on their fear. Now, that's some really interesting stuff. It's also not the kind of fear that we're gonna be talking about for the next few weeks. Um, for the next few weeks, what I wanna do is I wanna talk about that internal fear that we all feel far too often across our lives that paralyzes us and keeps us from experiencing what God created us for and calls us toward in this life. You know the things I'm talking about, right? It's the voice in your head that creeps up out of nowhere when you find out about an opportunity for advancement at work, saying, don't even think about it, you won't get it, and you'll just embarrass yourself or end up feeling like a failure. So why even try? 
It's when a new group of people invite you to hang out, but you've got a voice telling you to just stay home because you're too weird for these new people to like you anyway. It's backing away from a romantic relationship that's starting to get serious because you have a deep fear of commitment. It's backing away from a challenge because there's a voice telling you that you're not good enough or smart enough or strong enough to tackle anything that doesn't come easily for you. Or it's having an idea in the team meeting, but you won't voice your idea because you're afraid your idea might just get rejected. It's loving a dress, but not wearing the dress because you think other people might not approve of your fashion choice. As a result of these situations and these fears and a hundred other ones, what we all end up experiencing in the times of our lives where we are driven by fear is a little bit of paralysis. We end up being paralyzed by our fear. Psychology today describes fear and where it leads us this way. It says fear signals threat and as a result it leads to avoidance. Avoidance translates into evading challenges and missing opportunities for learning and growth. Eventually, it can lead to social isolation, professional stagnation, spiritual lethargy, and chronic dissatisfaction with life. Simply put, fear all too often becomes an obstacle to growth and achievement. It becomes an obstacle, becomes a, 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 something that gets in the way of our growth, of our spiritual growth, of our career growth, of, ev- of growth in every different way of our lives, and us actually achieving and experiencing what God wa- wants us to experience and what God made us to experience. Because of fear, in other words, we don't take opportunities to learn and to grow. Because of fear, we shrink back from relationship. Because of fear, we don't stretch ourselves to see how much we could actually accomplish. Because of our fear, we don't take chances when we should be taking chances. Because of our fear, we play it safe when we can live with some risk. Because of our fear, we don't share the the gospel and share Jesus like we should be sharing Jesus. Because of our fear, we don't attempt to read the Bible because what if we don't actually stick with it the way the way the way we've maybe not stuck with it in the past. Because of our fear in the worst case scenario, in response to God and his calling and his plans for our life, we simply shrink back and refuse. See, here's what we have to understand about fear that, that, that so often cripples us or paralyzes us. At its best, fear keeps you alive. At its worst, fear keeps you from living. See, at its best, Fear keeps you alive. It keeps you from experiencing the real danger of heights or, 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 or someone driving terribly or spite. Like it keeps you from things that would actually cause you harm, things that may actually cost you your life. At its best, fear will keep you from things that actually could damage you and damage your life. At its worst though, at its worst though, and most of us live in and experience fear at its worst, it keeps us from actually living. At its best, fear is a reaction to things that could harm you or cost your life. It helps you avoid things that will harm you. But at its worst, it irrationally keeps us away from things that are good for us, things that help us grow, things that stretch us, things that move us forward, and kings, things that keep us close to God and other people. So with all of that said, So with all of that said, you might be thinking, well, yeah, fear is a big problem. I got to learn how to confront and overcome my fear. Fear has been leading me to some dangerous places, leading me in a direction I don't want to go. It's been making me stuck and paralyzed. So I miss out on things that God wants for me and that I know I want for me. I've got to learn how to eliminate fear. I've got to learn how to eliminate fear. But here's the thing. Fear is not the problem. Fear itself is not the problem the problem. I know we, we've all grew up hearing this line that the only thing to fear is fear itself. But I got to tell you something today. Fear itself is not 
the problem. See, um, amazingly, we were created with, and God gave us a sense of fear for our good. God gave us a sense of fear for our good. God gave us the ability to fear as a way to protect ourselves from legitimate actual harm. When someone is afraid of heights, that's a natural reaction to the actual possibility of falling from heights. When someone is afraid of spiders or afraid of snakes, it's a natural response to the reality that many spiders or many snakes are poisonous. That very real fear is a legitimate response and it came from God to help us be protected and to protect ourselves from actual danger. Fear itself is not the problem. The problem is we tend to fear all the wrong things. We get so consumed with a fear of failure or a fear of rejection or a fear of other people's opinions or a fear of success or a fear of responsibility or a fear of commitment. We get so consumed with fear of those things, but fear itself is not the problem. Misguided or misdirected fear is a big problem. See, we were not made to have a fear of commitment. We were not made to live with a fear of responsibility. We were not made to fear responsibility. We were not made to fear relationship. We were not made to fear other people's opinions. And so today, instead of trying to teach you how to eliminate fear or overcome your fear, what I want to do is help us direct our fear to the one place, and in fact, the one person where our fear actually belongs, the one rightful place for your fear and for my fear. And here's the promise that I'll make today. When we point our fear in the right direction, we don't have reason to fear any of the wrong things. When we point our fear in the wrong direction, we have no reason to fear any of the wrong things. And over the next couple weeks, we're going to unpack that statement of how we point our fear in the right direction so that we fear what, what we actually should fear and we don't fear anything that we shouldn't Fear. Today, in the next two weeks, we're going to spend some time looking at the stories of people who were at one point consumed with fear and very real reasons to be afraid and see what happened in their lives to move them beyond those fear to the places where God actually wanted them to go. Today, we begin with a man named Gideon. Now, the story of Gideon is found in the Old Testament book of Judges, chapter 6 and 7. So the story begins in chapter 6 like this. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in, a, in mountain clefts, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, the Midianites, Amalekites, and other eastern peoples invaded the country. They camped on the land and ruined the crops all the way to Gaza and did not spare a living thing for Israel, neither sheep nor cattle nor donkeys. They came up with their livestock and their tents like swarms of locusts. It was impossible to count them or their camels. They invaded the land to ravage it. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out to the Lord for help. So here's the context. Context of this story, stuff is bad for Israel. Stuff is bad. They have been invaded. They, they abandoned God and God let them experience the consequences of what happens when they walk away from God. They are overrun and overwhelmed and oppressed by this neighboring nation of, of Midian. These people who come and they just take everything. They literally, it tells us, they literally come to ravage. They come to take 
every bit of resources that they can, take it back for themselves, and then come back when there's more resources. In the world of legitimate fears, to, to say it this way, they have plenty to fear and plenty to be afraid of. They have an overwhelming enemy, an enemy who is far stronger than them. They've got an overwhelming enemy, an enemy they haven't been able to resist, and they may not see a possibility that they'll ever be able to resist. They fear for their lives. They're hiding in caves. They actually feel like if they, are sh if they show their faces, their faces might not be long for this world. They're fear for their lives. They have fear for their sustenance. Their enemy steals and pillages their harvest and their cattle and their livestock and everything that they have that they would count on as food, their enemy takes. And in their fear, they do an incredibly wise thing. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to the Lord. They cry out to God. And this is a simple reminder for us. The only legitimate place to take our fear is to our Heavenly Father. The only way we find peace, the only way we find an end to our worry, the only way we, place we find an end to our doubt, the only place we find an answer for our doubts and for our questions, the only time we find any response to our fear that actually does anything to ease our fear, to calm our fear, to do away with our fear, is when we take our fear to our Heavenly Father. Some of you who live with fear of failure, live with fear of rejection, live with a fear of commitment, you may always live with that until you take it to your heavenly Father. But the moment that we take it to our heavenly Father, here's what we find out. Our heavenly Father responds and he meets us in the place of our fear to bring peace to our fear. As they take their fear to God, he answers because this is what God always does. He answers our cries when we bring our fear to him. In verse 11, we're told this, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak in Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Now we got a lot to unpack here. From our perspective, Gideon isn't a mighty warrior, but the, but the angel of the Lord calls him a mighty warrior. He doesn't look like a mighty warrior from our perspective. He's hiding in a covered pit for fear that the Midianites will come and steal his grain. But that's our perspective. From God's perspective, Gideon is the one dude who is silently rebelling against the oppression of the Midianites and the despair of the Israelites. He's the one guy saying, God didn't give us this for us to hand it over to them. God gave us this for our sustenance. And so come hell or high water, this is going to find God's people, not our enemies. This is going to feed God's enemies, God's, God's people, not our enemies. This is going to sustain God's people, not our enemies. So the angel of the Lord comes to him and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And this is something for us to recognize and for us to understand. God will recognize in you what you don't yet recognize in you. Gideon was, a, was, lead, was, leading a, was in the middle of a silent personal rebellion. But he would one day, and very soon in response to God's will, he would rise up and be the leader of the rebellion against the oppression of the Midianites. He would stand up for God and stand up for God's people and resist the oppression and push the people away. I'm not getting, hopefully I'm not spoiling anything to you. This is where the story goes. But in this moment, he doesn't look like a mighty warrior. He doesn't think of himself as a mighty warrior. But God sees in him the beginning, the spark of what would become a mighty warrior. And so for some of you, you think you're just trying, doing your best as a parent. But God looks at you and sees mighty mom, mighty dad. You are raising a child who will change 
the world. For some of us, you think like, I'm not a mighty warrior. I just go to work every day. I try to make it through the eight hours. I'm not enjoying, but here's what, you, here's what God sees. God says difference maker. You're a difference maker. You're like, I'm not making any difference. Well, you can. And what's in you, if you bring it out of you, if you allow God to bring it out of you, it will become a difference maker in your workplace, in your world, as you allow God to work through you, to work in you, to make you a person of influence, to be bold with your words, to be bold with your influence, to share people, to share with people about Jesus, to point people to Jesus, to let them know that God has a plan and a purpose for their lives, just like he has one for yours. You may not see it in you, but God sees it in you. You may be filled with fear and think there's nothing that can come from what you're doing, but God can do things in you and from you because God will see in you what you don't yet see in you. So verse 13, we get a little interaction between Gideon and this angel. Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. The Lord turned to him in verse 14 and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending you? Well, pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh and I am the least in my family. The Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. I will be with you, and this is what will happen. You will strike down all of the Midianites, leaving none alive. And here's the first point. Here's the first thing that I want to make sure we understand as we talk about where to put our fear. There is no reason to fear when you follow God's call. There is no reason to fear when you follow God's call. In the middle of this situation, God comes to Gideon with a call on Gideon's life. Gideon, here's what you are to do. Here's who you are to be. You are to be a mighty warrior. I recognize it in you, even though you don't recognize it in you. And I'm calling you to rise up and not just lead a silent personal rebellion against the oppression of the Midianite people. I am calling you to go up and lead the nation of Israel out of this oppression and to defeat them in such a resounding way that everyone will recognize that it was God and not you. That's what I'm calling you to. And so so Gideon, I know you don't feel big enough, but you have nothing to fear because I'll be with you. And Gideon, you don't know how it's gonna happen. And you, and you feel afraid because you don't know, but you don't need to know because I know. Gideon, you have a million reasons to be afraid, but you have no reason to fear when you're following my call. I will pave the way. I will prepare the way. I will prepare you. I will bring out of you everything that you need to achieve and experience and, and live out exactly what I want you to live out. You have nothing to fear when you follow God's call. Gideon, you have no reason to fear when you follow God's call. And the same thing is true for you today. There is no reason to fear when you follow God's call for you. If your call is to be a mother, if your call is to be a father, if your call is to love your husband and your wife, there is no reason to fear when you follow God's call. If God calls you to ministry, if God calls you to the workplace, if God calls you to share the love of God in your neighborhood, there is absolutely no reason to fear when you follow God's call. God protects, God prepares, and God brings out of you everything that you need to experience and to live out and to follow his call. You have no reason to fear when you follow God's call. Now the story would go on in Judges chapter 6, starting verse 25, a few verses down. That same night, the Lord said to him, take the second bull from your father's herd, the one seven years old, tear down your father's altar to Baal, 
and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. Now these are altars and these are symbolic gestures of worship to, to false gods, to gods that did not exist, to gods they had become convinced did exist and somehow were in control of their crops and their harvests and, and, the, and their produce and whether or not their livestock would reproduce well and, 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 and multiply and multiply and multiply. They'd become convinced of false gods. And, and Gideon's own father has these altars set up and has these symbolic places of worship set up. And God says, go and cut them down. Then build a proper kind of altar to the Lord your God on the top of this height using the wood of the Asherah pole that you cut down, offer the second bull as a burnt offering. So Gideon took 10 of his servants and did as the Lord told him. But because he was afraid of his family and the townspeople, he did it at night rather than in the daytime. In the morning, when the people of the town got up, there was Baal's altar demolished with the Asherah pole beside it cut down and the second bull sacrificed on the newly built altar. They asked each other, who did this? Who did this? Who defied and Baal, who defiled Baal's altar? Who defiled the pole built to Asherah? Who did this? When they carefully investigated, they were told Gideon, son of Joash, did it. The people of the de town demanded of Joash, bring out your son. He must die because he has broken down Baal's altar and cut down the Asherah pole beside it. But Joash replied, and gotta love this as a dad, but Joash replied to the hostile crowd around him, are you gonna plead Baal's cause? If Baal really is a god, he can defend himself when someone breaks down his altar. So because Gideon broke down Baal's altar, they gave him the name Jeroboam, Baal, that day saying, let Baal contend with him. And man, this is, this is the whole thing. Then right here in the middle, and this is the second point, but this is the big one. This is the mountaintop thing. There is nothing left to fear when you fear God. There's nothing left to fear when you fear God. When your fear is properly in the right place, there's nothing left to fear. I mean, this is, this is Gideon saying, God, I fear you. And I know everyone around me fears this false God, this, this non-God. This not a real God thing that we've all been convinced that we pray the right prayer and if we offer the right sacrifice and if we do this and if we do that, if we do that, that somehow he's in control and he's in charge of what happens to our cross. But God, I don't believe he's in charge of any of that because I don't think he even exists. But I know you exist and I fear you. And because I fear you, when you tell me to go, I go. And because I fear you, when you tell me to rise up, I rise up. And when, I, when you tell me to go and destroy that altar, I go destroy that altar. When you tell me to go make a fool of myself, I'll go make a fool of myself. When you tell me to go put my life at risk, I choose to believe that my life is in your hands so my life is not at risk. I fear the Lord. I fear my God. I fear you. And so I have nothing else to fear. I fear you, and so I have nothing else to fear. I fear you, I trust you, I look to you, I believe in you, I, my life is in your hands, my life is not in their hands. My life is not in Baal's hands, my life is not in the townspeople's hands, my life is not even in my father's hands. So my father didn't save me in this situation, God, you saved me in this situation. When you fear God, you have nothing left to fear. This is what we talk about, putting your fear in the right place. Fear itself is not the problem. We were designed by God to have healthy fear. When we fear the Lord, this is why throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament and through the New Testament, we're continuously confronted with this phrase, the fear of the Lord. 
when I have a, the proper fear of God, when I have an awe and a reverence and an understanding that he is ultimately in control and that he is ultimately in control of my life. And when he points the way, I want to be going where he says to go. And the only thing I have to fear is when I'm not in line with God's will and God's plan and God's purposes for my life. That's the only thing I actually have to fear. I want to fear God and fear nothing else in your life and in my life. That's what should be true of us, that we would fear the Lord. And when we fear the Lord, we have no reason to fear anything else. When we fear the Lord, we have no reason to fear commitment. When we fear the Lord, we have no reason to fear failure. When we fear the Lord, we have no reason to fear relationship. When we fear the Lord, we have no reason to fear responsibility. When we fear the Lord and let him point the way and let him guide and direct our lives, we have no reason to fear anything or anyone. Now, the story would go on in Judges chapter 7. Early in the morning, Gideon and all his men camped at the spring of Harod. The camp of Midian was north of them in the valley near the hill of Morah. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel would boast against me. My own strength has saved me. God understood the nation of Israel pretty well. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left while 10,000 remained. Imagine this. Gideon's got a, got a crew of 32,000 soldiers, warriors, army. He's got, he's got this force of 32,000 people. Imagine losing two-thirds of your army with a simple instruction from God. You're like, yeah, God, okay, I fear you. You tell me that we got too many, I'll, I'm going to let some of these guys go. Hey, any of you guys who are afraid, any of you who are trembling with fear, if you're afraid for your life, you can go home. And he's thinking like, you know, we're going to lose like 100 or 200 guys and 22,000 guys out of his 32,000 crew leave in a single moment. God says there's too many. Gideon makes an announcement. But as that many dudes start to leave, Gideon has to be like, are you kidding me? There's that many too many? what are we doing here? But he keeps going with God's plan. He keeps going with God's, God's plan. Verse four, but the Lord said to Gideon, there are still too many men. And if you're Gideon, you're like, no, there are not. 22,000 just left. There are still too many men. Take them down to the water and I will thin them out for you there. If I say this one shall go with you, he shall go. But if I say this one shall not go with you, he shall not go. So Gideon took the men down to the water. There the Lord told him, separate those who lap the water with their tongues as a dog laps from those who kneel down to drink. 300 of them drank from cupped hands, lapping like dogs. All the rest got down on their knees to drink. Imagine sending home someone from war, from battle, and you go, hey, well, why am I getting sent away? Well, you drank the water wrong at the river. I mean, like this, this sounds absurd. This sounds ridiculous, but this is God's plan. This is way, God's way of making sure that God got all of the credit and that Gideon didn't get the credit and that the large force of men that he had assembled didn't get the credit and that Israel didn't get the credit for their own strength and their own power, but that God got all the glory and all of the credit. The Lord said to Gideon, with the three hundred men that lapped the water. I will save you and give the Midianites into your hands. Let all the others go home. So Gideon sent the rest of the Israelites home, but kept the 300 who took over the provisions and trumpets of the others. God brought this force down from 32,000 to 300 
and said, I'm still going to deliver Midian into your hands. And I'm still going to free the people, my entire nation, with these 300 people. I'm still going to do it. And I'm going to make sure that I get all the credit and I get all the glory. And here's the thing. I don't actually really need to tell the rest of the story or read the rest of the story. God uses Gideon and those 300 men to lead a resounding victory over the Midianites just as he promised. They literally wipe out the Midianites, their people, their military, their kings, everyone. Without the full strength of Israel, but with the full strength of God on display, God knew what Gideon couldn't have known, but God wanted Gideon and all of Israel to learn that God could do more with 300 than Gideon could do with 32,000. And this is our final lesson. There is nothing to fear when you follow God's plan. There is nothing to fear when you follow God's plan. God's plan was for victory. God's way was for victory. God's will was for victory all along the way. At any point along the way, Gideon could have evaluated God's plan and thought, you know what, God? I don't think this is a very good plan. I don't think we should send away the 22,000 people. God, I don't think we should send away 9,700 more people. I don't think, if, I mean, if we have 32,000, I think we should use the 32,000 and take our chances with the numbers over our chances with your ridiculous plan. And Gideon would have probably been right, except he would have been absolutely wrong because God could do with 300 what Gideon couldn't do with 32,000. But while it, while it looked ridiculous, it led, while God's plan looked ridiculous, it led to an overwhelming victory that also reminded the people that God knew best and God had best and God is best. He wins the victory, not us. Gideon followed God's plan every step of the way. When it looked great with 32,000 men, he followed God's plan. When it looked less great with 10,000 and when it seemed impossible with 300, Gideon trusted God's plan. And at the end of the day, all of us need to be reminded that we have nothing to fear when we're following God's plan. And again, this is, this is that thing where sometimes God's plan, it will look ridiculous. It will look insane. It will cause us to do things that confront our fear. It will cause us to do things that, that we go, this doesn't make any sense. And when it doesn't make any sense, we get afraid. We go like, I can't do it. What if I fail? I can't do it. What if I, what if I succeed and, and, and it's way too much for me? What if, I, what if I can't handle the responsibility? What if I can't handle that type of commitment? What if I, what if like, what if, like, what if I have to like do something that makes someone else not happy? What if someone else's opinion of me changes? And God goes, look, I, I, at the end of the day, I'm not worried about your failure, your success, your responsibility. Your, like, I'm not worried about other people's opinions. I'm worried about doing what I want you to do and I want you to do it in my way. And when we, like, we, we worry about so many things, but I just want to let this story be a reminder to us. When you follow God's way, when you follow God's plan, there is nothing to fear. We have no reason to fear failure while following God's plan. We have no reason to fear responsibility when we're following God's plan, when we're doing things God's way, when we're doing things as God instructs and as God commands. We have no reason to fear when we're following God's plan. And so here's the thing. The, the, the world has a whole bunch of opinions on how you're supposed to parent your kids. God has, has opinions about how, you, how you're supposed to parent your kids. And to turn our back on the wisdom of the world to follow God's plan can be a really scary thing. But guess what? You have nothing to fear when you follow God's plan. The world has a whole bunch of opinions about how you're supposed to handle your money, how, what, what, what you're supposed to do with your money, how you're supposed to invest, how you're supposed to do everything with money. 
And God has some plans when it comes to your money. And, God, and, 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 and when we turn our back on the world's wisdom to follow God's plan, there is in me, like there is so often in you, something that goes, I don't know that I want to, Oh, this, this is a big step. This is a big leap. Can I really trust God? There is nothing to fear when you follow God's plan in your money, in your parenting, in your marriage, in your dating life, in your singleness, in your career. Again, as we've talked about so, many, so much over the last couple weeks in our past series, there is nothing to fear when you are following God's plan. But there's everything to fear when you're not following God's plan. And see, all along the way of this story, Gideon embodied something that, I, that, that we today would call the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord. That since God called, that since God called, the only thing I have to fear is being found guilty of not following his call. And since God gave me a command to tear down an idol, the only thing I have to really fear is to be found guilty of not obeying. And since God gave me a plan, the only thing I really have to fear is to be found guilty of not trusting God's plan and God's way. This is what the fear of the Lord is, that the only thing I have to fear is being found on the opposite side of what God has called me and commanded me and instructed me and asked me to do. That's what the fear of the Lord is. The only thing I really have to fear is not being right with God. This is actually what Jesus was talking about in, in Luke chapter 12 when Jesus was teaching the crowd about fear because Jesus talked about fear. Jesus actually believed, and if you, don't, if, you, if you didn't believe me that fear itself is not the problem, Jesus actually told us where to point our fear. In Luke chapter 12, verse four, he said this, dear friends, don't be afraid of those who wanna kill your body. They cannot do any more to you after that, but I'll tell you whom to fear. In other words, he said, fear has to go somewhere. Here's where it should go. I'll tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and then throw you into hell. Yes, he's the one to fear. Here, according to Jesus, and here's the bottom line, here's, here's kind of where, where we've been leading all day as we talk about pointing our fear in the right direction, making sure our, our fear is pointed to the right place and pointed to the right person. The only thing to fear in life is being on the wrong side of holy God. The only thing to fear in life is being on the wrong side of holy God. The only thing to fear in life is that when God would call us, we would shrink back and not follow his call. The only thing to fear in life is that when God commands us, we would say, that's not for me. The only thing to fear in life is that when God calls, we would refuse. The only thing to fear in life is that when God gives us a plan, we think we would know better than God. The only thing that we actually have to fear is any sort of life where we say, God, I think I know better. I think I have better. I think the world has better. I I think anything has better. I think you don't know what you're talking about. And so I'm going to choose my own way instead of your way. Fear of the Lord says, I choose God's way even when it's inconvenient. I choose God's way even when it's uncomfortable. I choose God's way even when it scares the bejesus out of me. I, scare, I choose God's way because I fear the Lord. And when I fear the Lord, I have no reason to fear anything else. Oswald Chambers the author of My Utmost for His, whole, for His Highest, one of the most read devotional books in the world, Oswald Chambers wrote, wrote this. The remarkable thing about God is that when you fear God, you fear nothing else. Whereas if you do not fear God, you fear everything else. And so here's the thing. Today, as we begin this series, this is, this is a big deal to make sure that our fear is properly placed to make sure that we, that we choose. I, I'm not gonna fear responsibility. I'm not gonna fear commitment. I'm not gonna fear failure. I'm not gonna fear success. I'm not gonna fear relationship. I'm not gonna fear someone else's opinion. I'm gonna fear the Lord. 
I'm gonna have a reverence and an awe of the Lord. I'm gonna choose to believe that his perspective is right always. I'm gonna choose that his wisdom is right always. I'm gonna choose that his call is for my good and for the good of the world always. I'm gonna choose that his way is right always. I'm gonna choose that his plan is right always. I'm gonna choose that he is right always, that he has to offer me what nothing and no one and the whole world cannot offer me. So I fear him, and when I fear him, I fear nothing else. But if I don't fear him, I fear everything else. So what if we made the choice today? God is ultimate authority. God gets his say. God gets his way. When he points the way I go, I fear the Lord. The only thing I want to fear in life is whether or not I'm on the right side of holy God. That's the only thing to fear. That's the only thing I will fear. Anything else and anything less is not worthy of my fear. I'm gonna fear the Lord so I fear nothing else. I'm going to fear the Lord so I fear no one else. I'm going to fear the Lord so I don't fear the world. I'm going to fear the Lord so I have no reason to fear failure. I'm going to fear the Lord so I have no reason to fear responsibility. I'm going to fear the Lord so I have no reason to fear their opinions. I am going to fear the Lord so I have no, no fear of man. I'm going to fear the Lord so I have no fear of, 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 where, of what happens when I follow God's plan. I'm going to follow God's way. I'm going to follow God's call. I'm going to fear the Lord. And because of that, I will have no reason to fear anything else. Fear is not something to overcome. Fear is not something to eliminate. Fear is something to make sure that we point in the right direction, that we point our fear at our Heavenly Father. The only thing to fear is being on the wrong side of a holy God. This is the starting point, and this is where we're going to pick it up next week and the following week as we talk about overcoming and living past and pushing past the fear of man and the fear of failure, how we move forward with the fear of the Lord and allow that to overcome our scary seasons. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your grace for us. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. And God, thank you for your word that continuously calls us to a fear of the Lord, not because we want to be afraid of you, but because you know that we were made to live with an awe and a reverence and a holy surrendered life of trust in you. So God, help us to fear you. Help us to make sure that our fear is placed in the right direction so that it doesn't have to go in any of the wrong directions. Help us to fear in the right place so that we won't fear any of the wrong people. Help us to fear towards the right person of you so we won't fear any of the wrong things in life. Help us not be consumed or paralyzed by fear that would keep us away from you or away from anything that you have for us. But God, help us to fear you. Help us have a fear of the Lord that casts out and drives out all other fear leaves no place for any other fear. God, help us to understand that we want to simply be on the right side of holy God. We want to be on the right side of you. And God, nothing else in life matters. So God, help us to follow your call and fear nothing else. Help us to follow your plan and, and, and fear nothing else. Help us to follow you and to fear nothing else. And God, as we do this, would you drive out any other fear? Would you cast out any other fear? Would you help our fear of you to overcome any other fear and to drive out any other fear? Help us to live for you, to love for you, to lead for you. Help us to step out and be the people that you want us to be, leading our families, in our workplaces, in our community, all over the world. God, help us to live for you and to fear you and fear nothing else. We love you, God. We pray this all in Jesus' strong name. Amen.